What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast. My name is Saul Monley at Saul Monley NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Matt Moore of the Action Network at HP Basketball on Twitter. How you doing, man? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm glad we finally got this audio working. Um, before we get into the Rockets, I have two quick questions for you, and I want to hear your genuine thoughts on this, unfiltered. Sure. Uh, one, do you care at all about the FIBA World Cup? No. <laughs> um, I don't. So... I think it's totally fine if people are interested in it. I think it's great that it unites so many people. I think it's really cool to see, um, especially the international communities, so excited about it. I think that that's all awesome. Uh, I go through nine months of an NBA regular season and playoffs. I cover free agency. Uh, I focus on win totals. I have so much to do, and I like the NBA style of play better. I just like it better. Um, there's more dregs, and there's lots of bad things you can say about it, but people like what they like, and I just don't really care much about FIBA, especially because in most years – America dominates to a level that I don't find it interesting. I didn't find it interesting when the Warriors were beating everybody by 40. I don't find it interesting when the United States is doing it by 60. So this year might be closer. It certainly seems like it. I think Serbia is going to be really good and probably give the U.S. a run for its money. But the international classes are worse than they were in the mid-2000s when the U.S. went through that dip. So it's likely that even with their C team, Team USA is probably still going to dominate. And if they don't, it will just set up them kind of coming back later. It would be a good thing if the United States lost. I wish they would go to an under-23 uh, kind of system uh, just to promote the young guys and that that would be best. But as it stands, like, no, I do not have the capacity to really care about a tournament that doesn't feel like it has really any stakes. It doesn't have a lot of prestige. Um, and that is usually just dominated so thoroughly by one team. I feel the exact same way. And I get it. I, I get that there are a lot of great reporters out there covering it in Vegas training camp and stuff. And I get that we're kind of in the Chris Brickley Instagram video section of the NBA offseason. So we need content. I get that. Uh, th- this does not interest me at all. And I, maybe maybe I'm just unique in that. Like, like uh, Maybe like you and I are different and there's like a whole swath of people that care about this. I just don't really particularly found it at all fascinating. And I think, you know, may- maybe there's some NBA value in the off-court stuff. Like, you know, maybe there... Even this season, it doesn't feel like there's much there. And I don't know. It, it, it just feels like... We're, we're scraping for content right now. I feel like it's kind of being overcovered. I don't really care about it. Yeah, I think that I think it's being covered because it's a major news event. Like it's a sure. worldwide basketball competition and that matters. And there are NBA players in it and that matters. I just, until a program is really able to put together on the floor five NBA caliber dudes, which, you know, Spain usually has something pretty close to it, but even then the gap's pretty wide. Um, until that's really a standard across the board, I have a hard time getting excited about it. I just, I just do. I have a hard time really thinking that's competitive. Um, and then it just, you know, 
there's not a level of prestige. Like the the soccer World Cup is is super exciting and everyone's so into it. And there's like a lot of buzz around it. And FIBA is like, oh, there's like this tournament. That's cool. And that's it. Like the biggest thing to come out of Team USA this year is going to be whatever relationships are forged that wind up impacting free agency. Like that's the biggest impact of what's going to happen this summer uh, with Team USA. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, another question. So I was having a conversation with somebody a couple of days ago and I, I just asked him just randomly. I asked him, what's your favorite part of the NBA calendar? And he said free agency, and it kind of threw me off off guard a little bit because this guy's like a diehard basketball fan, and this like he has salary cap sheets on his phone, he watches a bunch of games, and it threw me off guard that this guy would even say NBA free agency. Like, does it bother you that NBA free agency and the transactional stuff about the NBA has become kind of more important to some people, or more entertaining rather than the NBA playoffs? Because that that's still kind of I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that. I still think, all, like, all of this stuff matters because we're trying to get to the playoffs. All this transactional stuff matters because we're trying to, like, whatever team is trying to build a contender slowly throughout the year to get to the postseason. Like, does it does it rub you the wrong way a little bit? No. Um, and the reason is that one of the reasons I was really pulled towards the NBA was because it's the one that's easiest to, you know, couch GM. It's the easiest to be like, what if they got this guy? What if they traded for this guy? What if this guy? What if they added this guy? What if he went there? Look how good they are. What if they did add this guy? You know who they need is this guy. They should go get this guy. Those conversations are fun. Those conversations are more fun than how will the Bucks counter – uh, the Pistons dropping scheme in game 45 of a six-month NBA regular season. Now, I love those games, and I watch those games, and I get a lot, and I'm very excited for those to return. I get so exhausted by them by the end of April, just when I'm ready for the playoffs, and then like by now, I'm ready for the season to start. I got a month, I got like two months before the season begins, um, and yet I'm still like, I'm ready for it now. Like I'm ready for the, I'm excited for the schedule to come out just to see those games. But I understand that free agency is so exciting because everything shifts. Like the league got shut, shook up like a snow globe this summer. And that's really exciting. I think it's way more exciting than like, yep, bringing back the guys for another year. Same guys. Like it's way more exciting to think like, Oh, how is this going to work? And like, what about this? Do you think this is going to be good? The rockets being a prime example of this. Like, you talk to 10 people and they're going to have a different opinion of how Harden and Westbrook are going to, to work together and whether this team is going to be better or worse than the team was with Chris. And so all of those things, I think, drive conversation. And I like thinking about the game more than anything, um, even more than watching it. And so the flexibility and maneuverability of players, I think, is a really big benefit to the league. And I totally understand why people are into that. No, I get it, and I'm I'm into it too. Like I enjoyed the. Tr- I'm not. I'm guilty of it too. I'm I'm totally into the. Like I have watch notifications on, champ notification. Like I, I have all that stuff, and I and I understand why it's interesting to people. I just feel like, and I, I heard this great conversation with Kevin Arnovitz and Zach Lowe a couple weeks ago talking about the same exact subject. Like I just feel like the reason all this stuff matters is because people are trying to build to the playoffs and. I get that the NBA likes that there's so much discussion around their league. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure how they monetize this stuff. Like, I'm not sure exactly. Like, sure. Like, yeah, it's really exciting to, that everybody's talking about your league for like eight months out of the year. But 
d- does that really mean anything when playoffs are around and ratings are lower than you than you know like last year we oh, saw it, it dip yeah, in ratings no it absolutely matters because like look um it's nice to get ratings but the ratings they're selling the ads by what they're selling the ads by um and this all these conversations help build their brand to build corporate partnerships and those partnerships will pay them millions and millions of dollars more than a gate would. Um, so like I don't, the ratings were down for a number of reasons, including the fact that it's hard to, to all the issues calculating Canada this year that like, that's a major problem, right? Like Canada just splices everything and everything and makes it more difficult. Um, the ratings were down because this was a rebuilding year, I think, for building up stars. And next year, we're unlikely to have that because LeBron will probably be back. And you're going to have uh, the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi. And, but you also you needed kind of a down year in order to kind of build up. Like You had to gain some traction on interest in Milwaukee with Giannis and gain some traction on interest with the Nuggets with Jokic. You had to basically teach people that these guys matter because for the last four years, it's been the Warriors matter and LeBron matters and nothing else has mattered. And so you kind of had to take a step backwards in terms of the ratings, but the league I think benefits hugely from all these conversations because uh, brands want to be associated with leagues that are in the conversation every day. Like who talks about baseball? Why do you want to be? Why do you want to make news as being partnered with baseball? Nobody talks about baseball. Nobody cares. Like nobody cares about baseball. It's does great. It, it does great attendance, and it's America's game. Maybe a little bit some places, but like the conversations are all happening with the NBA, and the NBA is building a global blueprint with global companies. And the more conversation is happening, the more revenue opportunities that they have. Like the NBA has diversified its interests so much that all of these conversations do nothing but spur their opportunities to further their business interests. Sure. And I, I, I completely agree that the league needed a shakeup in that, in that respect. I, I, I completely agree that you needed a tear down year. And I, and that's probably why the, the, the ratings suffered a little bit because nobody really was tuning in to watch Jokic because nobody really knew that Jokic was as good as he actually was. Same thing with Giannis. Like we just discovered how great he was last year and I get all that. I don't know. It, maybe it's just me. Like, like when people tell me that their favorite part of the schedule is is free agency, like, like that. That's I'll never get over that. Like, the, there's a part of me that's like, okay, but yeah, I I enjoy talking about drop schemes. I enjoy like that. All of this is built towards the playoffs. Like, maybe that's just me. But I I enjoy all this conversation too. I just feel like maybe there needs to be a little bit of more importance placed towards what this is all. Why this all matters, but. Other than that, I agree. Like I agree that this the NBA in general needed to be shaken up. I agree that there was kind of a cloud over the league over the past four or five seasons and that nothing really mattered, as you said, other than the Warriors and LeBron. And now there's like eight teams that matter, or probably six, but still a lot more. And th- that that's exciting, and that's what that generated a ton of buzz. And I do think the ratings would take a a, a big a bit of a, sky, a spike this year. And I, I, I enjoy that the NBA is at, at a high point next year. But let's go ahead and get back into the Rockets because you brought it up. 
the Russell Westbrook trade, I think it's going to define how most people view Houston's offseason. It, 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 it sounds like an obvious statement, but none of their other signings really matter in terms of how you feel about like like the re-signing Daniel House isn't going to bring a visceral reaction out of you other than, you know, trading for trading for Russell Westbrook. That's that's going to that's going to make you feel a certain way. And I, I'm still not sure where I come to grips with this trade because I feel like Rockets fans have completely latched on and they're, they're bought in and they, they believe this is going to work and they believe this is a good trade for them. I don't know. Like The central question here is, does this make Houston a better basketball team? I thought, and I still think, I still think that Chris Paul is due for a bounce back season. I, I thought his percentages took a an uncharacteristic dip last year. Like if you look at his shooting percentages, like they were career lows across the board and his drives per game, I mean his drive to the rim, his his three point attempts, like all that stuff was still the same. His percentages took a little bit of a dip. Now there is the case that perhaps he this was the first indication of a of a real decline from him. I don't know. I think it's more likely that the Rockets were gonna see some bounce back year from from Chris Paul next season and I thought the Rockets were already in a good spot and they didn't really need to make a major shakeup and this trade kind of complicates how I feel about them going into the season what about you how do you feel about this trade for Houston I think one way is we get some distance from it Uh, I think you can pitch it in a number of ways in terms of Chris's age and injury situation and the contract uh, whether James wanted him gone or didn't care or was fine with it but felt it run its course, it, I think maybe more importantly is we get some distance from it. Maybe the different way to think of it is uh, their ceiling may have lowered, but I think maybe their floor raised. And so if the Rockets play to the absolute best of their ability, they could go up 3-2 on – one of the best teams in NBA history, if not the best with Chris Paul. But we saw this year when they didn't play to potential, they couldn't hang in games one and two. It just, they couldn't get it together and they really like fractured and kind of fell apart. And that cost them that series because they were in position. And then KD's injury actually made things worse for the Rockets. Um, I think that adding Westbrook for Paul I think there will be nights where it's frustrating that they can't hit a higher level, but also the competition level across the league has shifted. It's not as you're not facing golden state anymore. Um, you're still going to have to go through Draymond and clay and Steph, And that's going to be tough because that team's probably underrated. Yeah. Um, but the Clippers are vulnerable on a number of levels. This is not a super team, the way that some people are talking about it. The Lakers are not a super team. Uh, Denver's not a super team. And Denver can't do anything with Harden and Capella. Um, the Utah has struggled with Harden and Capella. Um, with different personnel, but still, there's all these things that are kind of in play to say, like, you know, look, maybe they're not going to be as good at their best but maybe they're better on an, you know, in an average performance in a playoff series or in a playoff game. And that, I think, opens up the possibility of them being having better results, even if they're not a better team. Yeah, um, I, think, I think what you mentioned about their floor and ceiling is uh, pretty accurate. Here's a better way to ask this question. Would you have made this trade? 
uh, or would you have uh, went on with the status quo? Knowing the limited amount that I do, I would not have made the trade. Um, I would have pursued a fourth or fifth guy who was sneaky good, just like a really like, oh, that's a really good get kind of guy for trade, either there at Gordon or Clint Capella or some combination. I wouldn't have gone for another star. Together, I I likely would have just been like, you guys have had more success together than you've had in your careers. You were one quarter from beating Golden State and getting to the finals. One quarter. So you're going to run this back, manage it, and you out. And that's what I would have probably leaned because I'm not in spot and I don't have to do those personalities. Um, I think adding Westbrook, if everything is working and it adds all of the sacrifices and changes everything, they could work out awesome. If he doesn't, it, it's just instability. Um, so I would have stuck it out and played through one more year. I would not have made changes, but they did. And now they're going to have to work. And maybe it's one of those ideas just, that's just crazy enough. It just might work. Or maybe it's going to be the downfall of an incredible run for this organization in the Harden era. Yeah, I'm completely with you. I I think I would have felt much better about the roster if they had, let's just say, acquired Jermichael Green uh, rather than trading for Russell Westbrook. Like I, I think I would have felt much better if they went out and tried to find like a, a solid fifth wing defender, like like a fifth starter that could be a wing defender, um, rather than going out and making this crazy gamble. And at the same time, I understand the motivation for this trade. Like there is the case that you know, the, you know, Russell Westbrook's a better player, and that you know you you trade for the better player when you can. And I get the talent play. I understand that, and this this extends Harden's title window. I understand all that. I just think, as far as your ceiling, I'm not sure if it's as high as it would have been uh, if had you just stayed with the same core and perhaps tweaked a little bit more on the, around the edges. And what I'm really getting at is like the floor spacing concerns are real. Like they're real. If if Harden and Westbrook don't make serious sacrifices and change their games drastically when they don't have the basketball in their hands. Like, this isn't going to work to the level that they want it to work. And, like, that means Russ has to cut. That means James has to spot up and be ready to shoot rather than being disengaged when he doesn't have the basketball. And he also has to cut. And that means Russ can't pull up and take mid-range jumpers. Like, Like, these guys have to make serious sacrifices to their game and i'm not sure if they're gonna do that how do you feel about that so i think i think harden is malleable and will change to whatever it is that he needs to um this is a number that i think will probably surprise a lot of people um in 2017-18 not last year but the year before 
Russell Westbrook was 53rd percentile on catch and shoot jumpers. Now they're only 77 across an 82 game season. So it's not like there was a lot, but he's actually, when you go back and you watch his shots up close and you watch all of his shots, you notice that if he's in rhythm catching and shooting, he's actually not bad. And so all of the stuff with his shooting, which is probably going to regress a little bit toward the mean, um, a little bit this season, I think he's going to get, he's going to improve. Like there was a lot of confidence from OKC that he wasn't, that this wasn't just like the new Westbrook, that he had arthroscopic knee surgery before last season. And the, the history of that injury suggests that for the first about 14 months, you struggle specifically in field goal percentage. So like exactly what Westbrook went through. Um, so you believe he's due for a bounce back season of some sort. Yeah. So I'm not saying he's going to turn into a 50, 40, 90 guy. He's never going to be that, but I think that he can turn back into a 45, 35 guy. And if he's 45, 35 or even 45, 34, that's fine. That's okay. He just has to not be the worst shooter in of star players in NBA history. So for me, I think that there's a capacity for that to work. I do think that there's like a level of sacrifice that's going to be difficult. There's going to be some awkwardness. That's going to be on the other guys, I think, to kind of bridge that gap. And that's what I think will be interesting in like watching how do the Rockets look when it's Westbrook without Harden and how do the Rockets look when it's Harden without Westbrook. And if there's like if it's at midseason and the Rockets have really good numbers when Harden's on the floor and Westbrook is on the bench and mediocre numbers otherwise – that's going to get to be a problem. There's a lot of risk here. There's a lot of danger, but there's also a really high capacity for I'm taking their over because I'm just of the belief that like, look, James Harden, Clint Capella, Eric Gordon, PJ Tucker, that's 55 wins. Like that just is, that's been 55 wins when they've been together. So I believe that that combination, um, no matter what version of Russ that they get, we'll still get 55 wins. The question is going to be, does Russ help you in a playoff series? And most people think not. And that will be the really big test is like, can Russ have one more dynamic playoff run? Because people forget how good he was between 2011 and 2016 in terms of playoff performance. Cause there were games where he absolutely destroyed worlds. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, I'm concerned uh, about their defense because Chris Paul, yeah, he wasn't the same like first team all defense level defender these past couple of years, but he was still pretty good. Like if you go back and look at the on off splits uh, this at the second half of the season, like the Rockets turned it around defensively when Chris Paul came back. Like the, their point of attack defense improved dramatically with Chris Paul. Yep, and. Like Westbrook and Harden in the backcourt, like you can't hide two of those guys. Nope. And I'm I'm not sure where you're gonna like. I, I guess I guess Daniel House is gonna start. I don't know. Like like so you have Daniel House, uh, Clint Capella, and PJ Tucker. Who, yeah, to their credit, those guys are all plus defenders. And you have to hide these two weaknesses, you know, in, at your point of attack. And I, I'm just not sure how you know the. They they have to get really creative on the coaching staff end, like and, and these guys are gonna have to at least like like I think Westbrook had a good year defensively last year. He uh, did. I I thought Harden was okay. He wasn't great, but he was he was he was better than what he normally is. And I thought, you know, like if you can get what Westbrook was last year, and if you can get Harden to just just stop falling asleep off the ball, you can make it work. But again, like you're asking for two things to be true at the same time. You're asking for a, they have to make these these sacrifices I talked about earlier offensively and defensively. They have to give like one hundred and ten percent. So th- th- that's why I'm skeptical of all this. 
Um, whenever I do evaluations for teams going into the season, I give what's called the if test. And it's in order to be successful, how many ifs do they need? And if you got a lot of ifs, then you're really in trouble. And if you got very few, then it's like, okay, you got like your assured things. The Rockets have a lot of ifs, like you mentioned. Uh, if Westbrook and Harden are able, are willing to compromise on both of their skill sets and roles to make the other one better. Uh, if the defense gets back to form independent of the personnel, just getting back systemically to where it was, uh, if Westbrook gives the kind of effort that he gave last year, if Harden gives the kind of effort that he gave in 2018, um, if you know Clint Capella stays healthy, if Eric Gordon stays healthy and doesn't get traded, if Daniel House is the player that Rockets fans believe that he is, which is very much out because like or in question because he was not great in the playoffs whatsoever. Um, if their bench can survive because it really is a pretty rough bench at this point, uh, all of these things are in play. And so I agree Like there's a high level of capacity for failure. I'm relying on the fact for the regular season of really what it's come down to for them to win 55 games has been if they have James Harden, if they have Clint Capella, and if they have Eric Gordon, then they win 55 games. Like That's what they do. And so I'm relying on that a lot here. I don't think Westbrook is at a point in his career where he's a negative. I don't believe that. And there's, no, not, really that's any, not, true. Yeah. there's not any signs from the data that we can pull that says that Westbrook is, is a negative. The playoffs are a different matter, and that gets complicated depending on what his performance is. Um, but I, I think that it's hard to say that, like, okay, all these things have to go together, but if we're talking about like when you get into a playoff series – yeah, I think like containing Russ's emotions and Harden's passiveness, like that's a dangerous combo. Like there's a way in which it works, right? Where Harden sometimes just gets way too passive in the playoffs and Russ is always aggressive. So maybe that balances out, but it can also create tension where Harden's like, what are you doing? And Russ is like, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to. And that creates more problems. So yeah, like there's a high capacity for a blow up in the playoffs, but I do think that for the regular season, they're still going to be good enough because of the individual talent of those guys and how good MDA is. They should be fine in order to get to the playoffs, and that's when the real tests are going to occur. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, that that Westbrook isn't just like a negative. Like he 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 is just a sheer force, and and I, I I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't want to spend this entire podcast on him because offensively if you look at the numbers he's been a positive for Oklahoma City these past five seasons like he's just always the, the Thunder were just always a, a positive offensive team when he was on the floor uh, and if you look at the rebounding numbers I mean like that's like yeah, yeah I, I know Rockets fans are going to point out that some of his rebounding numbers were inflated by the free throw re, the cheapy free throw rebounds whatever but if you look at the defensive rebounding percentage when he's on the floor versus when he's off the floor they're dramatically better when he's on the floor so he he is without a doubt a positive re- rebounder and the Rockets were one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the NBA last year I think I think they might have been 29th or 30th actually like they they, they were they were horrible like, that was Without a doubt, their worst, uh, their worst habit on defense, and Russ is going to help that. And offensively, like in transition, like they're going to be much, much faster. Like that, that helps. They have been one of the slowest teams in the NBA uh, over the past two seasons, and like Russ is going to help speed that up. It's going to add some more variance to their offense, which a lot of people have argued that they need. Uh, it's you know, like m- mentally, I just can't get over those those negatives, but. There, there is a universe in which all this works. It's just, as you said, a lot of ifs. A lot of ifs have to go right. I tend to believe that they're going to be like a fifty-plus win team in the regular season. In the postseasons, it's, it's kind of that's kind of where my concern lies, right? Like where, where all this manifests in the postseason. Like I, I think 
in the regular season, you can get away with the, like Russ being like a, a, a poor four spacer. Same thing with Harden, and you can get away with some of the defensive stuff. In the postseason, like teams key in on you, they attack those weaknesses, and that that's where you can get really exposed. And that that's kind of why I, I'm hesitant to be like, yeah, this 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 trade was a home run for the Rockets. Like yeah. Chris Chris Paul was like a you know like I I know he he wasn't great at the first half of that Golden State series but overall he was a really good playoff performer for the Rockets like he just was like like there's there's no question that the Rockets were a better basketball team in the postseason when Chris Paul was on the floor like that that's that's just like you can't diminish that like he was really really good for Houston especially in the Utah series when uh you know the the Jazz dropped their bigs back and forced uh, James Harden to take a bunch of mid-rangers and he refused and Chris Paul came in and took like a million and uh it, it really helped the Rockets offense when it started to stagnate so he he was a huge positive for Houston but the the reason I'm so skeptical is because these these weaknesses can be keyed in on yeah, I think that there's cause for concern about how they're going to get schemed. But I will also say, like, look, the West is weak. Um, not weak. The West is tough. But the West doesn't have teams that you're having to go so far uphill. And, like, I don't know how the Warriors – the Warriors ran roughshod over them without KD because everything that Houston had done was built to stop them. So maybe a different version of Houston bashes up better with the Steph – Clay Draymond Warriors instead of the Steph KD um, Warriors. You know, the Clippers, yeah, like they'll put Paul George on Russ and they'll put Kawhi on Harden. Um, and that's going to be difficult. But the way that the Rockets' spacing is developed, they're probably going to be able to still find three point shots and have a chance there. And if the Rockets have a year where like they just hit all the shots because they have so many shooters and they take a lot of them, um, that can get them past. So there's all these scenarios where it's like, okay, yeah, there are pitfalls, but there are pitfalls for every team in the West. Including, like, Denver has an, an amazing collection of talent, continuity, coaching, depth, youth, veteran leadership, defense, offense, everything. If they face Houston, they're boned and they know it because matchups matter. So a lot of this is just going to come down to who are you going to match up with. And all you can really do is, is put the best team that you can out on the floor. Maybe this isn't the best team that they could have. Maybe the team with Chris Paul would have been better. But, you know, I, I think it's enough to where it's like, okay, um, it's possible that they have a worse team and go further. And that would be a really crazy story and yet kind of fitting for the careers of both uh, Harden and Westbrook. Um, so let's talk about their supporting cast. So uh, as you mentioned, the guys like P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, Clint Capella, um, and uh, Daniel House, those guys are solid. I agree with that. Uh, that I feel like they took a pretty conservative approach to their offseason, and, and, and I actually like that as compared to what they did last offseason. Last offseason, they took a crap load of gambles on guys like uh, on guys like Marquise Chris, Brandon Knight, um, James Ennis, and Michael Carter-Williams. And this offseason, they went after proven guys like Austin Rivers, Daniel House, and like guys that, and Gerald Green, guys that they had in their system that that they they knew what they were going to get out of them. I I like their approach to their 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 role players or surrounding cast. What about you? Uh I think you're, it's okay. You're <laughs> like not a big Austin Rivers guy, are you? I mean, I'm not <laughs> not. Like they were a good number. Part of it is just like everything with the Rockets was really exaggerated last year. So it was like when Daniel House had like four good games, it's like Daniel House is the new Trevor Ariza. It's like, look, calm Ariza was a longtime NBA veteran that contributed to super high level teams. Like maybe chill out a little bit. And then he vanished in the playoffs. 
Um, you know, look, I, they've got guys for sure. I like the Tyson Chandler edition. Um, I actually think Gary Clark can play. Um, yeah. I like House. He'll be able to give them some minutes. The the Gerald Green continuation. Like I like Gerald Green, but he needs to be like they they just turn to him way too often as like and now for our wild card Gerald Green. It's like no, no that that is not the wild like that is not the wild card. Like Gerald Green needs to be played with another better wild card to kind of push you forward. Um, so like Rivers is is good. It's good to have a backup point guard, but like how is like Rivers and Westbrook together? That's a ooh I don't know about that. I I don't know about that kind of a backcourt if those two wind up playing together at all. Um, there's ways it can work, but I honestly just think like that's one of the biggest concerns I have is like they're going to wind up doing what they've done the last couple of years, which is just driving their starters into the ground. And if they do that, I'm worried about them running out of energy again in order to have the kind of stamina that they need to, in order to have to push past teams. Um, that's a, I think is a concern for me because I, I do see this team as being woefully uh shallow in terms of depth yeah uh i actually agree with you on uh gerald green and daniel house like like gerald green like yeah he's he's fine as like a 10 to 15 minutes a game guy but mike d'antoni has a bad habit of playing this guy like 25 minutes a game sometimes when they're when they're really running low on reserves so that can't happen uh i i like I, i like austin rivers a little bit more than you um i think he's a pretty talented on ball defender off ball you need some work but he's but i think as far as the Rockets team concerns, like they're they're fine with him playing um, off on ball, and I Daniel House, the hype around him with Rockets fans, it's it, it's insane. Like it is insane. Like I, I used to make jokes during games, like would you rather have Kevin Durant or Daniel House? Because that's how Rockets fans felt about him. Like it, it got to a level where I felt really uncomfortable. Like people were talking about him as like a surefire playoff uh, reserve, and I'm just like I'm not sure if he's going to play against the Warriors, and he fell out of the rotation in like game two. So like yeah, I agree that there there's some there's some skepticism there. Uh, I'm I'm a bigger fan of Austin Rivers. Uh, what about their team as a whole? So you mentioned you mentioned some Western Conference teams there. Where do they stand in the Western Conference to you? Because right now I have them as probably the second best team, maybe the third. I really like Denver, but I I, I still like that Clippers roster a lot. Like I, I know you mentioned how you don't view them as a super team. I really like their defensive versatility. I like the Jamichael Green pickup. I like um, I like the reserves they kept. I like how they brought back Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, the Montrezl Harrell. You can go on and on. I really like their supporting cast. I have them as my best team in the Western Conference. I have the Rockets as my tentative number two. What about you? Uh, I think the Clippers because of they'll be the be- I think the Clippers will be the best team. I don't think they'll have the best record. I think that because of load management and Paul George's injury coming back, um, that and trying to figure out things with a totally new team, I think they'll probably have to figure out some stuff, and that will take enough off for them to slip a little bit. Uh, I have the Rockets tied with the Utah Jazz, the number one spot in the Western Conference. I have them both currently at fifty-five wins. Um, so I think that both those teams will be really great juggernaut teams in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, I think is is going to be tougher for both of those teams. So uh, I have them at, at 55 wins, and then I have um, the Clippers at 54, followed by uh, the Lakers and the Nuggets at 50. So like, there's a, a, a definite three teams at the top for me in terms of the regular season win performance. What's going to be weird this season is I don't necessarily think that win performance is going to be as indicative of team strength as 
it usually is. And like we've had seasons where the Warriors weren't number one and were clearly the best team. But even beyond that, like I think that they we're gonna we're gonna be there in like March and be like, mm, the Clippers are probably gonna be like the two seed or the three seed, but they're the best team in basketball. Um, versus the Rockets, I think it's gonna be, you know, they're really tough and they're still really good, and it's gonna be. I uh, like really competitive between all those te- those teams. That'll be one of the things that'll be interesting to watch with this, these changes is with Chris. There were teams like the Denver Nuggets that like they just like they just killed them, just crushed them, uh, and they own the Utah Jazz. And like, is that dynamic going to be the same with Westbrook? Is that dynamic going to be the same? And I think that's a really interesting question to kind of examine. And we kind of assume yes because the basics are Harden, Capella, Tucker, uh, with Gordon in there as well. But I do think it's worth you know asking because sometimes having a new variable can change things. The West is going to be super competitive. It's going to be a, a gauntlet. It's going to be a death match. It's going to come down to matchups. Uh, but I do think that the Rockets are going to be right there at the top of the Western Conference just based off of that combination of talent alone. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I I, I think I think the Clippers, despite the load manage, will, will find a way to get like fifty four to fifty six wins. And I think this year that that's probably enough to get the first seed the western conference because i it's these teams are going to beat the hell out of each other like they just are this this western conference is insane there's going to be 10 teams vying for eight playoff spots and i think it's going to take like 48 wins as a barrier barrier of entry to get in the playoffs in the in the west this year like i think it's going to be that crazy and i i think there's going to be like a one or two game difference between the second seed and like the the sixth seed like i think it's going to be that crazy and i think it's going to be fun it's going to be fun to see how things shake up towards the end of the season i know you're a big fan of that um looks like you got to head out here in a few minutes uh matt where can we find you on twitter and do you have anything to plug yeah, find me at HP Basketball. I'm doing a look back at my women totals from last year and taking a look back at those and getting ready for those. Uh, the new ones, we'll be doing a complete breakdown of those. I'll also have something on the MVP race where I think, once again, James Harden's going to have a lot of value, even with Westbrook around. And uh, it's going to be another really compelling year of Rockets fans being obsessed by the MVP race. So uh, make sure to check that out. You can follow me on Twitter at HP Basketball and make sure to download the Action Network app. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks, man. That was Matt Moore. Again, you can follow him at HP Basketball on Twitter. He's a great follow, one of the best basketball followers on Twitter. If you are not following him, which I would be surprised if you're not, please go ahead and correct that issue and follow him. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Follow me on Twitter at NBA. And yeah, guys, good night.